Hi, I'm Stephen Facer from Altlaw, and I'm here with my colleague Luke Atkinson, and we're talking about an active learning project which we undertook during the coronavirus lockdown. The restrictions of lockdown really meant that active learning was the compelling option when the case that we were working on was suddenly hit with some extra data and we weren't able to bring in extra resources and still meet the deadline. This particular case had a great outcome for the client, and that got us thinking, what are the characteristics that make a project particularly suitable for active learning? So Luke, tell us a little bit about what this case looked like when you first laid your eyes on it. So when we first got this case, uh, it had already been in review many weeks, and they had some resources, uh, I think it was roughly 10 or 12 reviewers at the time. This is pre-lockdown. This is all pre-lockdown, um, and they'd already reviewed 60,000 documents or so. So, um, and they, they had an opportunity where um, they had to dip back into keywords uh, and bring out some more documents. That, that released another 60,000 documents. And this was just on the cusp of lockdown. And they had a situation where that they couldn't bring in more resource, uh, they couldn't find more resource due to the lockdown situation. And they started to ask us questions about active learning. Um, and so that meant we didn't have to qualify a lot of the data. They already knew the data. They were very intimate with the data. Um, and they had an opportunity to talk to the other side uh, in regards to lockdown uh, uh, restrictions. And they were able to ascertain that they just wanted to do an email review, uh, ignoring any attachments, bringing those in later. So. so the fact that they understood their data a little bit better meant they could make decisions to, to make the data set as suitable to active learning as possible. Yeah, it was a perfect data set for active learning. Um, you know, we had big blocks of text. Uh, it really was, you know, within the date range that already established. It was really about just looking at those emails and having the model do the work for them. When you say they, um, can you tell us about who, who was actually undertaking this? What sort of people within, within our client's organisation were doing the... So we had one senior associate, an associate and a partner and the rest were paralegals that had already been working on the case. And how many paralegals? Uh, so it was, it was 12 in total. So that was pre-lockdown, mm -hmm. but once you started the active learning, did the same number of people work on the case, or was it a, a, a cut-down team? It wasn't a cut-down team, but because they only had three weeks uh, in, left in their deadline, uh, and it was advantageous for them to hit that deadline and put pressure on the other side, um, they couldn't get any more resource. So the nine in-house reviewers they had plus the associates and, and the partner had to stay on that active learning case. And so for those 12 people that worked pre-lockdown and post-lockdown, were there any major, major differences to what their day-to-day -day review schedule would look like? Yeah, it was, it was a lot different. Uh, we got some good feedback from that. Um, obviously they'd been doing a more linear style review uh, and they had a pretty complex coding table already. So it was a matter of bringing that coding table into the active learning layout. Um, but they found it quite refreshing because it was feeding them more relevant documents uh, you know, every time they're doing their review. So rather than doing a linear review where you get served up the documents chronologically, you get served up the documents which the system feels are the highest priority or, or the most relevant. Yeah, the system was ranking documents as they were reviewing. Uh, the index rebuilds every 20 minutes. So more and more uh, relevant or highly ranked documents were coming into their review stream. Uh, and so all we really had to do was just watch that relevancy rate. 
how do you watch the relevancy rate? How how is that reported? How is it is it a graphical yeah, representation? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a nice uh, much like cricket. There's a nice little worm line, um, and we're watching that worm line uh, on a graph. And as it starts to drop away, then we can start making decisions on what to do next. Did you have a pre-agreed level that you would say, let's get to this relevancy rate and then assess, or we'll get to this relevancy rate and and we will stop? Or is it more a um, play it by ear kind of a situation? So it, it tends to be play by ear, but realistically, we try and impress upon our clients, they're probably going to have to review between 2% and 10% of that document population coming into the active learning case. So once you get their, their mindset around that, um, then we, we look for relevancy rate at the beginning. So it might start out at 60%, which is pretty average. Mm -hmm. And as it starts to drop away, um, and then we gauge that against how much they've reviewed within that active learning case. So if they're at 3%, relevancy starting to drop away, then we can have a discussion about whether to, to have an illusion test. And, and an illusion test, okay, which is um, a measure of how accurate the decisions are being made? or Yeah, it, it's kind of like an automatic overturn um, uh, mechanic. So the, the system will go into the discard pile and it will pull out documents and serve them up. Um, and based on what the reviewers make decisions on, uh, more relevancy uh, in that discard pile is a higher illusion rate. So that means those documents are going to get left behind if you were to leave the cow. And what we want is a very low illusion rate. Sure. And you, you mentioned a percentage of, of documents that um, you'd expect the team to review. What happens if you're halfway through your review and suddenly you get hit with an extra 50,000 pages or uh, documents or an extra 100,000 documents? What impact does that have on the workflow? Not a lot. It's really, really easy. It's, uh, it's become much easier. It's much more automated to, um, to shift documents into an active learning case. Um, it's become easier to switch off the queues um, and, and have minimal downtime. So it's just a matter of processing that data, bringing it into the workspace, uh, and then bringing it into that um, uh, categorization index, which is what drives that active learning. So, so you just keep throwing it into the pile and you can utilize the decisions that have been made previously and apply them to the new documents. Yes, uh, it, the model stays as it is um, and it continues to rank documents against uh, the, the ranking model that it already has. But if you had a, a case um, and you'd already done a first pass review and you got some more data, uh, but you didn't do an active learning case and you decided your new data set coming in is too much for you, uh, you could then take your decisions that you made in that first pass review and you can bring them into the model and, and really accelerate that active learning project. And your, your team of 12, um, how involved are they with the active learning itself? Are they aware that the relevancy rate is high or low on a daily basis? Are they part of that conversation? Or is it keep your head down code your documents and, and we'll tell you when to stop. Whatever way you want to do it. Um, <laughs> but we can have some, some widgets uh, and some dashboards that will pop up in front of them and tell them exactly where they're up to. So for example, with the partner and the senior associate, um, they had a, a lot of graphical interface. Whereas the other reviewers, they would come in, they just have a nice big blue button and then click that and it would serve their documents and they're away. They didn't have to think about it. It's a very easy process for them. So if you had have taken a um, 
reviewer pre-lockdown that worked on that case and they went away for a couple of weeks and they came back mid-active learning. Do you think there would be a, much of a difference between what their day-to-day was? Is it the same issue list? Is it um, the same interface? So there's a, a, a couple of considerations when doing an active learning case in regards to the reviewer. Uh, and that's the, there's a slight shift in how you would um, uh, rank a document for relevancy or, or code a document for relevancy. Um, and you know, relativity has uh, some protocols for that, but it's named as the four corner protocol. So we're really just looking at um, the face of the document you can't really consider a lot of the metadata or the header of the document. Um, you know, you're not you're not reviewing a document and thinking that's relevant because of its date. You need to have considered that before. Um, so a little bit of work in the front end needs to be considered before that data comes in. But it really is it's it's more thinking about the phrases and the context of the document and the content of the document as opposed to all the metadata or whether that custodian is is a typical. Um, you know, it has high relevancy or a particular date ranges has high relevancy. It's really just looking at that, that context because that content is what the index is built on and that's how the model learns. Sure. And um, a traditional review, it's very easy to know when you're finished because you hit next document and there's nothing left. Yeah. How do you know, we, how do you know when you've reached the end of an active learning case? It's the same way. I mean, the reviewer would see that. Um, I, as, as an admin, you would go in and stop the queue. And so whatever was left in their queue, it would then funnel out and it would just stop. And, and that's, that's statistically driven. That's, that's when you're reaching the, reaching the metrics that you know that you can comfortably say that here's the discard pile, there's the documents that the system thinks um, is not gonna be relevant and you have a high level of confidence that that discard pile is not going to contain a lot of relevant documents. So there's a few things in play there. Um, that's from the reviewer's point of view. They just see the documents finish. But in the background, I think you need to have a conversation with um, people who are, are reviewers that are running the case, your partners, your senior associates, um, and it becomes a discussion about that relevancy rate. Once that starts really dropping off, your reviewers aren't seeing much more relevant material coming through. So you're starting to spin your wheels and it needs to be a discussion that you, you need to have. Um, and, and there are things I need to consider of how much is left in the discard pile. So what's the percentage of what you reviewed of that, that particular uh, active learning case? Um, and then that relevancy rate is dropping away. So it might be at that point that you would run an illusion test. And so the illusion test, um, it's just a matter of, you know, it's so easy now as an admin to just click a few buttons and that review queue changes from a prioritized review to an illusion test. And the discussion about the illusion test will happen in regards to um, what was agreed with the other side. So they, they might also be doing uh, you know, analytics or active learning uh, projects themselves. And they would have agreed, okay, we're going to do a 95% confidence with a 2.5% um, plus minus margin of error. Um, and then that will give you your sample size from that discard pile. That sample size from the discard pile then becomes your illusion test. And so that, that queue that was uh, a prioritized review is now an illusion test review. Looks no different. They're still reviewing documents they haven't seen before, but they're coming out of the discard pile. So they're typically going to be a lower ranked document. 
and every document that is marked relevant, that will change the illusion percentage or the illusion. So, so in a perfect world, when you do your illusion test, the documents that come out of the discard pile, every single one of them is not relevant. You can say you have 100%. Yeah, well, you've got a 0%, yeah, 0% illusion. You're leaving nothing behind. Um, but I've never seen that happen. But we, you know, on this particular case, we got a very good illusion. Right. What was it? Uh, 0.7. 0.7 of 1%. Well, it was 0.67, but yeah, it was 0.7. So yeah, and, and so that, that equated to around about 87 documents um, as an average left in the discard pile. That discard pile was around about 48,000 documents. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. So essentially they saved themselves uh, having to review 48,000 yes. documents, which had almost no relevant documents in them. Yeah, yeah, um, and completely justifiable. Um, but I mean, that, that illusion rate is something that, uh, you know, you can decide. You, you can have a high illusion rate, you can have a high cutoff if you want. Their cutoff was uh, 50%. So they took every document above the 50 percentile um, and they'd worked their model so all of the, the lower ranking documents ended up below 50%. When you're saying 50%, that's, I, I, don't, I don't get that at all. So. This, the model will always model the documents from zero to 100% in, in ranking uh, based on two decisions, irrelevant or relevant. And so as you work your model, you're obviously going to have uh, a relevancy rate starting out at X, but eventually that's going to, to, to shift the documents to the right. But because it's serving you up the, what it feels are the most relevant documents first, um, that's the way. It, that's that's why that relevancy rate moves because it starts dropping down and dropping down, dropping down because the system's starting to say, "Hey, I think these are, are less relevant now," and so you agree when you reach that point. Okay, the system is fifty-fifty on this, um, and that's when you can stop and you can say, "Okay, let's go and do an illusion test," which which yeah. is which is essentially um, uh, a test to see how accurate the decisions that are being made by the computer are. Exactly by the system are. Yeah based on what's going to be left over. Sure. Yeah. And, and what happens after the illusion test? You know, say it's a really big case. Say, say you've got a million documents. Uh, you go through, you do your illusion test, you decide, okay, it's a good place to stop. You've got, you've got a rate of, say, 0.7%. 0.7% um, of a million documents is still a lot of documents. Is there anything else that you can do to go in there and to, to have a look and get a, a slightly higher level of confidence that this is the right place to stop? Yeah, you, you might need to dip back into the discard pile um, to, to do your due diligence and make sure that you've done it as much as you can. Um, so in that case, you can go back into structured analytics, you could do some clustering um, and, and build some cluster sets just based on that, that discard pile. You may even want to just move that relevant document set onto a second pass review and have uh, a smaller team work on the, on the discard pile and they might they might even instruct uh, to build another categorization set, so another cow based just on that, on that discard pile. Uh, there's a number of different things you could do. I, I guess essentially what you have to do is you just have to get confidence in the legal team that they, they feel completely comfortable that this is the right place to start. Yeah, and maybe 0.7 isn't good enough, uh, and that's the, the beauty of the illusion test, is you've run that illusion test on that sample, you're not happy with the results, so you just click a button as an admin, and it goes back into prioritize review 
and you do some more. And the reviewers just get an extra batch. It's well, yeah, they just get an extra uh, continuous batch. Yeah, if, if, if you if you relate it to a traditional review, I know, yeah. I know there aren't batches. You just yeah. you just keep getting fed. Yeah, and then in that case, we go back to that that uh, relevancy rate, and we continue to watch it drop. And it may be when the when you restart that prioritized review that you see the uh, relevancy rate bump up a little bit. So maybe the index wasn't as stable, or maybe you know there was some more left in there. So it's really up to whoever's running the case. Fantastic. Luke, thank you. No worries. It's good. Thank you for joining us. I hope it was helpful. If you have any questions on active learning, please feel free to contact Luke or myself. Thank you.